1: Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I have the the big team from and Weissel here today, w2com.com, Tony Wells, Evan Weissel, and Stephen Mackey. Gentlemen, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. Good morning.
1: Thanks, Mark. I want you all to tell me a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. I want to start with Stephen because we actually just met this past year, late last year, and I was going to... I was doing a video for Take It.
2: Yeah, Mark, uh, great to see you again. I think we uh, we had done a piece for the uh, Federal Media and Marketing Survey, yes. uh, Lisa DeZutis' group, and I am the Chief Creative Officer at W Two Communications. Our team was previously uh, Mesh Omnimedia, Media, and my wife and I ran that agency for about ten years, and we um, had a great relationship, uh, it, you know, existing with uh, with Evan and Tony and their team, and. Uh, it was just very natural integration. You know, I kind of reached out, we had a few conversations, and uh, we joined in August. And really, I think, you know, the uh, the vision was to uh, sort of expand um, W2 into an integrated marketing firm, right? So historically, PR and content development, and now we've added a full suite of uh, creative design services and digital marketing. So everything from web, video, branding, uh, to SEO, SEM, social media support, uh, and, uh, you know, analytics. So really, uh, I think, a great full-service turnkey agency now with all the new capabilities.
1: Cool. Tony, you were on, what, about 10 years ago?
0: Yeah, I think Evan and I were on about 10 years ago. I think it was our five-year anniversary, believe it or not, wow. now that I think about it. Sounds yeah, about right. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's been a little while since we've seen each other.
1: Yeah. So, uh, did, did Stephen fill in all the blanks on W2?
0: I think Stephen was probably a lot more eloquent than I would be, kind of explaining kind of where we're at. But yeah, I mean, Evan and I started this thing, you know, back in 03, and we've been having a really good run. We've, we've got great relationships with our clients and with reporters, and we've been expanding our services over the years, you know, to include a lot of content, podcasts, um, social. And Stephen's team really rounded out, um, our vision and, and the way we wanted to approach the market. So, Uh, We're really excited about where the company's going right now.
1: Cool.
3: Evan. Yeah. You know, I've been around the Beltway here for 25 years now, and so I think they've kind of captured everything that, uh, you know, about the company and where we are today. Um, And I think it's important to note that we serve both, you know, commercial and government organizations. Right. Um, Being in the D.C. area, it's an exciting place to be uh, when it comes to technology. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think being a full service agency is what organizations are asking for and requiring right now.
1: Right. And, and previously, you, you were primarily but not exclusively
3: PR. Yeah, I think it's an interesting evolution. I mean, I think in the early 90s, I was working at Stackig. It was a uh-huh. full service agency. And then in the late 90s, you started to see everybody break apart. Um, and basically splinter off, if you will, in terms of wanted to be a specialized PR firm, wanted to be a specialized marketing firm. And now I think we're seeing that um, integration come back to the fold where people are, again, wanting everything in one place. And I think social media and some of the new technologies are a key driver for that happening.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely uh, created a, or democratized how information is shared. So Right. Agencies that are really good at it can help their clients be really good at it. Um, is it safe to say your primary focus is cyber or
3: not? I would say it's a big part of our business, but it's not our primary focus at all. I mean, we are a business-to-business and business-to-government technology firm. We we work with uh a satellite company. We work with uh, a lot of cybersecurity companies. Uh, enterprise yeah. software, mobility. I mean, Yeah, we're
0: across the board. I yeah. mean, we work with networking companies, you know, as Evan said, telecommunications, MSPs, just a large swath of different technology companies. And actually, Stephen's group really expands that reach even further beyond just technology companies with a lot of the marketing services that we offer. So –
2: yeah, we have a uh, um, a longstanding client that's actually a sports agency group, um, is the largest uh, women's uh, basketball agency um, in in the country, and craft beverage industry, uh, and and tourism, and and some healthcare um, clients that we brought, as well as uh, legal technology e discovery uh, providers and
1: some restructuring firms as well. So I actually know something about e discovery. <laughs> 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 Most technologies, I don't. My listeners would understand. Um, So I want to start with one thing. Evan, uh, I don't think I met Tony there, but I met you through Guy Timberlake in the ASBC, early 2000s, and I don't know how long you had been in business then. But shortly after that, you guys had a client that that really wanted to stand out at RSA, and they they said, I believe this is how it goes. They said to you, we we should hold, you know, uh, like a little networking cocktail hour thing. So take it from there, please.
3: I think exactly. I mean, I think we're always trying to come up with creative ideas for our clients. I mean, that's our job, right, to stand out. And so they came to us with a a networking reception, and I feel like we took it a little bit further, which was we were trying to get in front of the media, the analysts, the key influencers that were attending RSA. And so what we basically did was come up with a poker tournament um, back in the day, and we probably did that for about three or four years uh, out at RSA, and it basically attracted and grew through those years but what was great about it was we probably had what, twenty to thirty press and analysts attend that event every year. And then we would basically have two or three of our clients sponsor that event. And it was just a great social way to just get to meet the reporters that were pitching in and out every day. It was a great way for our clients to socialize with these people without pitching them per se, right? I think
0: and that's a good point. One of the rules of the room was it's a no pitching zone what we saw was you know it's bigger benefit if you can just build relationships let right. people know that you're smart you don't have to tell them you don't have to pitch them your product story they'll they'll build the relationship with you and they'll come to you when there's an opportunity and we really did see a lot of opportunities Kind of come out of that poker tournament, and it was great. And it was it was a very insular group. And you know, sometimes there were you know different people in the room that may not have been um, clients of ours. They may have just been friends of ours in the industry that we felt like you know what they'd add an interesting dynamic to this conversation and to this game. And then over the years, exactly what we had hoped happened. You know, the reporters that were in the room kept coming back to us and kept coming back to our clients.
1: I, from what I heard, there was like a line to get in. To the tournament every year for a couple of years.
3: Yeah, towards the end there was, and um, you know, again, we still have the relationships today, 15 years later. I mean, it's uh, and PR Week actually did a story on on that event as well about uh, about our poker tournaments and demonstrating using that as an example as a, a way to kind of engage the the media community that you know indirectly, if you will, as Tony said. So, um, yeah, it was a great event. Well, it was part of uh, selling to the
1: government because I right. love telling stories, even if they are other people's stories, because sure. that that was just so cool. And I still talk about it when it's germane when I'm doing presentations.
3: Yeah. And, and by the way, it was a very casual event, too. I mean, we literally brought in pizzas. We brought in some alcohol. And we set up some tables. And people played. And it was just absolutely a fantastic way to do something on a shoestring budget as well. It wasn't some expensive thing uh, that, you know, cost tens of thousands of dollars to, to, to do, right? Yeah. It was just a great... Networking social opportunity that we we took advantage of. Yeah, and and poker was hot, and we knew the report. We knew a lot of reporters and analysts played. But the important thing is, you know, you
1: made the you know connected the dots, if you will. Yeah, and you brought right. your know, your clients together, the industry together, and as Tony said, you know, it, it's a, all markets are relationship driven. Right. The government market, I believe, more so. Sure. So uh, that may not be true, but I don't care about other markets. So. For, for right now, it'll stand. Uh, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, another uh, interesting concept that Tony and Evan uh, put together. So you're listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We shall return right after this. Welcome back to AmTower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with the uh, senior staff of W2 Communications, Welson Weisel. You can find them at w2comcomm, w2com.com. You can find each of these guys on LinkedIn. I suggest that you do so. You are blogging, right? Yes. Yep. We have a corporate we, blog. We we share ideas on our blog. Uh, I I like these guys. They come up with some neat stuff, and you'll see what I mean by that in just a minute. If you didn't pick it up on the poker side, um, so read their blog, uh, Tony. I ran across Evan. Yeah, you know, I don't run across you guys very often, probably because I don't get out, not because of you, but that's beside the point. But we saw each other three or four months back somewhere. I had seen something about this cyber taco thing. And I found out that, once again, you guys were kind of behind it. So tell a story.
0: Yeah, about three or four years ago, we were at RSA, which is a a large cybersecurity conference out in San Francisco. Um, And I had just finished up a meeting with the editor of Passcode, which was a cybersecurity offshoot of the Christian Science Monitor. Um, It's since folded. Um, But she and I got talking, and and she was based and still is based in this area. And she actually made the comment. She's like, I'd love to see – a cyber networking event. And she's like, and I love tacos. She's like, I think if we could merge the two, it'd be fantastic. I even have a name for it. And she said, Cyber Tacos. And I, and I looked at her, I'm like, doesn't matter. We're in. This is a great idea and we want to be behind it. So for about the next year, year and a half, we did very small, insular, closed door cyber, kind of the way the, the poker tournament started out, closed door, invite only. Um, and they were a huge success. Um, Who are the
1: invitees?
0: Invitees were some very high, um, high-ranking high people in, in government, some really prestigious reporters, a handful of marketing folks, but a lot of people that you know, kind of get dubbed thought leaders. Um, and it was a really good event that thought brought— Thought
1: leaders around, around cyber.
0: Around cyber. Yeah. Around cyber. And the ones actually that, that were based in D.C., because we've done them in other cities, um, heavy government influence um, as well. So. Um, and they started out that way. And um, we did it with them for about a year and a half. And they were very successful. And about a year and a half later, Christian Science Monitor decided to get rid of passcode. So everybody kind of went their own ways. And we had asked, can, can we keep this and can we do something with it? Because we saw a lot of potential for this this event. And with their blessing, we've kept it going. We have actually trademarked it. We've built it up. Um, and Evan really took the reins at that point. We wanted to keep that kind of hometown insular feel but we wanted to expand it we wanted to invite others in the industry cyber is is a growing and big industry but it's also very small in a lot of ways just like government a lot everybody knows each other um, and the people that have been here for a long time and been in, in in cyber for a long time want to network with those reporters and each other and talk to each other. And we've and, – and I'll turn it over to Evan. But we've had some great response and, and the event is continually growing. I think the the last one that we just did out at RSA two weeks ago, we had almost 1,200 registered attendees to, to to show up to it. Um, and the feedback has just been tremendous.
3: Yeah, I think Tony did a great job of capturing all of it. I mean I think – Now, what we're doing is we're really trying to make it a community event. Um, And so, as Tony alluded to, right, it was a small private event when we took it over and we just felt like it it needed to be broader. And so, basically, we get between 300 and 500 attendees to every one of these Cyber Tacos events. It's free for the attendees to go. Um, And what we look for is to get sponsors to cover the costs. Again, we're just trying to make a community event where everybody can get together, socialize, have a good time. Um, there's no program uh, involved or element. It's literally networking tacos. And the response that we've gotten is off the charts. It's, it's almost comical, um, the notion of everybody loves tacos, and if you're in cybersecurity, who wouldn't want to network and have all-you-can-eat tacos, have a beer, and, and talk to your colleagues in the, mar- in the industry. So, um, so we've done events in San Francisco at RSA a couple of years now in a row. Um, we've done events in Austin, Texas. Um, we've done several here. Um, and what was exciting also is, um, even Politico came to us in November and said, Hey, we'd love for you to host a cyber tacos event right outside of our newsroom in December. And so we turned that one around really quickly and had about 200 people, uh, show up for a cyber tacos event in, in Politico's, uh, outside of their, uh, their, uh, offices. So it's been very exciting. The buzz has been great. The feedback has been great. Everybody has a great time. And one of the things that we also started to do is we've partnered with CBRE, local real estate firm, uh, our I next- I don't think
1: they're a local.
3: Well, the local <laughs> yeah. brand, the local organization, right? The local folks here. Right. And we're working for, towards a May 14th Cyber Tacos event, which will be in Arlington uh, at the Spaces uh, facility. And we're going to be doing the the inaugural Cyber Security Impact Awards as part of that uh, event and handing out awards there. And the Cyber Security Impact Awards basically is designed to shine a spotlight on companies that are cybersecurity companies that are headquartered in Virginia, D.C., and Maryland, um, and we've got multiple categories uh, for people to submit. The deadline is April the twelfth uh, to submit a nomination, um, and that's at www.cybertacos.net okay. uh, to to submit. Um, and again, the idea is that we're just trying to shine a spotlight on this community. We feel like this is a vibrant community in terms of cybersecurity innovation um, and a lot of the regions in the country. San Francisco, New York, Boston, even Austin, uh, tend to get a lot more play and visibility in this space. And so we're just trying to do our part to kind of bring the community together with the Cyber Tacos Award Program and through these events.
1: Yeah. Uh, is is Boston still hot, 128 Corridor? In... I think so.
3: I think so. We're not very involved. Boston is – the word you keep using is insular, right? Boston tends to be a very insular community, and so they kind of keep at arm's length, I think. So we're not too involved in the Boston community ourselves, but –
0: No, but we've got really strong contacts up there, and and we're always working with media. Exactly, media and other folks up there. So, yeah, Boston is definitely a big player when it comes to cybersecurity.
1: Well, I I would assume that IDC is still up there.
0: IDC is still up there. Network World is still up there. Um, Security Week, which is pretty influential in the space is still up there. So there's there's a lot going on up there. And, and there are some smart people that are based up there. So, you know, that we're always going to be seeing stuff come out of
3: it. But them. the point is there's a lot going on here yep, right. and we're trying yeah. to shed a light right.
0: on this region.
1: Yeah, I, I've been uh, trying to do that too because uh, everybody talks about Silicon Valley and – you know, I live outside of Columbia, and there are some extraordinarily hot companies right there.
3: Absolutely, feeding absolutely. Uh, feeding
1: the fort, as
3: it were. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about the government space, right? I mean, CyberScoop yeah. does their Cyber Week, yeah. and it's been a fen- and that's been a phenomenal week of events, and we've been part of that um, in terms of doing some events with our clients, but also doing Cyber Tacos during that week, and that's probably our lar- largest attended Cyber Tacos event uh, locally, where we probably get six, seven, eight hundred people Where's register. That? Uh, that's in Washington D.C. Typically, okay. um, I can't remember the name of the restaurant now. It was uh, at uh, I think MXDC. MXDC, and I think thank that's you, a yeah.
2: great um, indication of the, the the coming of age, if you will, of Cyber Tacos is that it is now an officially recognized event um, by DC Cyber Week, and I think RSA and, this and year as, recognized well. It as well. as you well. Know, do you like, ever
1: they, film any of these things? And put yeah, it as a there?
2: matter of fact, we go around and uh, we capture a lot of uh, still photography and did some testimonial. Um, filming this year out at RSA and just really hearing back from people. I mean, I think what is next for Cyber Tacos is to, um, you know, start asking people, uh, you know, how can we leverage technology to, uh, you know, engage in the follow-up, right? I mean, a lot of people come to this thing and they make some great contacts. But again, it's a very low-pressure not a salesy kind of event, but people who still would like, I think, the opportunity to sort of follow up with people, some of their contacts afterwards.
1: Yeah, I, you know, if you, if you do the, uh, the testimonials at the event, not only are you getting them in, when they're in the midst of it, you're, you're in the middle of it and you can, like, feel the energy behind you. So that's cool. And I, and I love the way that the video ties in. So last summer I'm at, uh, i met, I get invited to GovExec's Market Preview. Uh, you know, they outlined five areas that were going to be, you know, areas of interest for them, uh, and one was podcasting. Um, so video, uh, I think video was the year before, uh, So but events was there again. So two sure. two of the things, the video side of the universe, I mean, the reason that Google bought YouTube was it was the second most used search engine in the world. Um and if you go to YouTube and type in literally any tech subject, you're going to come up with thousands of things, tens of thousands of things. If you type in any significant company in any technology space, you'll come up with their home page, which probably has, you know, 100 to 1,000 videos. So um, what's uh, – Stephen, I want to start with you on this. What's the, uh, uh, the value here for that video content?
2: I think the value of the video content, you know, the old saying was uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. I think a video is worth a million. Right. But it has to be well produced. Right. And one of the challenges that we found in, uh, you know, and, you know, going on 20 years of video production is that a lot of the people that you're interviewing for video are not professional actors. Right. It's really critical to have a team that can go in and, and produce somebody. To speak conversationally about the topics that they're passionate and well informed about, to position them as SMEs, um, to shoot it well, to light it well, but, you know, to, to really get to the core of the message and then edit it crisply and, and get it out. One of the things that we always try to do in our video productions is to figure out the many ways that that content can be leveraged, right? To take those videos, to transcribe them. A lot of times, You know, we'll go in to shoot a marketing video, but we'll then turn it into a thought leadership article. I mean, it's very challenging to get the C-suite to sit down for 15, 20 minutes. You may as well try to get as much content out of them as you can and then repurpose that across as many channels. Um, You know, in one video session, you can get a lot of social media posts. You can get portions of a vodcast. You can shoot a corporate overview video. So when we work with clients, it's really about examining all of the possible outlets, you know during the pre-production phase to make sure that we're you know maximizing that those people's times and we've developed a a mobile rig where we can go in and film in the boardroom and it's just much more efficient than trying to get the C suite to travel out to studios and things like that with people's schedules always changing and you know stuff like that so
1: you're, you're not doing this on your phone
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly right and that's one of the big challenges it's like everybody has a video camera on their phone with them right. you know
1: well you know it's it's a difference between You know, the Blair Witch Project and a full-length Stephen King.
2: Exactly right. My last blog post um, was really about um, eight tips for producing corporate video. And it was – a little bit of it was about gear, but it really wraps up with just the key role that the field producer plays. And a lot of that is 90 percent psychology, you know, getting your interviewee – Settled and comfortable, not sweating, speaking comfortably, understanding and doing your research ahead of time, and that's uh, uh, it. It's challenging, you know. Yeah. It's it's not something that a lot of people can do in house for sure.
1: True. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Am Tower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We'll be back right after this.
3: Military health benefits and workforce news. DoD personnel reporter's notebook
0: has it covered. Subscribe at Federal News Network.
1: Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Tony Wells, Evan Weissel, and uh, and Stephen Mackey. Tony, you were going to pick up something.
0: Yeah, so you know, Steve was talking a lot about um, the what goes into the creative and how, how he goes about that. But one of the things that he had mentioned to us really in the early days when we were really starting to figure out if the two companies could come together was he loves the creative, he loves the video, <clears> but everything is based on data. Um, and I think that that's a really important part too. And it's, it, it kind of ties into the way Evan and I approach things. You know, everything ties into what's the corporate message? What are we trying to communicate to? Who are we trying to communicate with? And, and building that out saying, okay, let, now let's make it measurable. Let's, let's actually create a process here. Um, create video, not just for the sake of video, but create it so that it's giving the, the audience, the consumer, whoever it may be, a value. And keeps them coming back. And I think that's the key. And, and when, when we were talk, started talking to Stephen, that was where the, kind of one of those aha moments where it was like, yes, that philosophy really does match with the way we approach working with our clients to help them gain that foothold in new markets, existing markets, new customers, all of that.
1: OK. Um, so that kind of ties into uh, what I want to talk about next. And that's the DIY nature of Web 2.0 communications, I mean David Meerman Scotts built a, an empire around the new rules of marketing and PR. Six editions in 12 years, not not half bad. But he, but he talks about you know the democratization that that Web 2.0 has brought to communications. But Stephen, to your point, and Tony, to yours, it's so easy to produce crap, and so many people do. I've read white papers that, you know, a, a junior high English teacher would just tear apart. Um, so um, when, when you're pitching a client, how much resistance do you get, especially from internal marketers on, well, you know, we've done some of that. We're planning on doing more. Um, do you get that kind of
0: resistance? We do at times. It depends on the client. It depends on kind of where they're at. Um, you know, a lot of social media is just some random person screaming at a wall and nobody really listening, right? Mm. And a lot of our clients have come to realize it needs to have a focus. It needs to have a little bit more professionalism behind them. To your point, you know, whether it be a white paper byline that's written like, you know, a second grader wrote it as opposed to speaking to the audience. No we, verbs. Exactly. <laughs> but, but we have had clients come to us and say, you know – we. It's great that you do all these things. All we really want to do is talk to media. Um, we've got people that do this, and then as we as we kind of peel back the onion, it's well, you've got this byline, but it's really not placeable, and here's why you guys haven't been successful. And we try to work with them, and it's not it's not so much as upselling them; it's as helping them optimize. If they want to do it themselves, that's okay, but we want to help them be better at doing it themselves as well. So we really do take that approach with our clients and, and Stephen's really helped us um, make that even more mature in taking that integrative approach, integrated approach. So, you know, we may be doing these facets, but we're going to have input on these other facets as well so that everything comes together and everything is portrayed the best possible way.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I, I anticipate seeing you at the market connection study and, May when they're talking about content marketing again. But, um, you know, there's a graphic I use from Lisa's second content marketing study, and it's just a big square with the stages of the procurement process across the top and the types of media down the side and which influences each part of that procurement process. And it's extraordinary. You know, I show this to people and they go, well, I can't do all of that. And I'm going, you don't have to do all of it. You start with a piece, so, um, so with some of the companies you you've worked. I know you used to work with a lot of smalls. Do you still?
0: I would say, realistically, probably we we still enjoy working with the small companies, emerging companies, small companies, companies that are coming up. Um, we enjoy working with them. So they're always going to make up a, at least some component of our portfolio. But we also today work with the Cisco's of the world. Right. Um, so there's a, a much wider range of company that we work with these days. Um, but it's always fun to sit down with an entrepreneur um, and, and have them basically say, this is my vision. This is where we're going. Um, and, and some of those really get us excited.
3: Well, and with our new integrated capabilities, right? a lot of these smaller companies don't need PR yet. And so – it's No, but the door. they will
1: need white papers or case studies. Well, they studies need content. Or, they yeah. need
3: a website. Yeah. They need messaging. There's <clears throat> a lot of things that need to be put in place before they start doing media relations. I mean, we ask the question all the time is, you know, if we go out there and get you a, a, a front-page story in the Wall Street Journal, are you prepared to handle the inbound traffic that you would receive from that, right? Do you have salespeople in place? Do you have you know, a website where when they hit that website, it looks professional and has the information that, that's needed to close a deal, right? So – we get into a lot of conversations about lead generation these days and other things outside of pr but again our full suite of capabilities now enables us to take a company and work with them you know it's not a it's not a one size fits all approach right, right. To, to marketing right there's no it doesn't make sense and so again with these smaller companies there's a bigger opportunity for us now to help them and support them along the entire life cycle of the organization know, again, when we started the company 15 years ago, we were a PR firm, you know, media relations, it was still content development, analyst relations, messaging, positioning. But again now we're broader and able to to help those smaller startup companies with the things that they need to put in place first and foremost. Right. There's got to
1: be a there, there before
3: you drive Absolutely. traffic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And again, right, it's an education process. We're constantly having to educate people. And there's a lot of times we'll go in and they'll say, we want these three things. And we're we're telling them, that's great that you want those. Here's what you need. And we try and counsel them on what the best approach is.
1: Yeah. I do a lot of training on LinkedIn. Right. And the first Step is number one, set your goals. Okay. You build your profile according to your goals. You connect according to your goals. You join groups according to your goals. And then you share information according to your goals. But unless you've got a good profile, even if you share great information, they're coming back to something that just blows. Right. Um, you so, know, okay. there's no reason for them to think number one, they probably borrowed this from somebody or, you know, There's there's nothing here to tell me who you are, what you do, who you do it for, what market you serve, you know, anything. Right. So. um, So on that side, I'm assuming you also help people build robust websites, landing pages, etc. So there is a there there.
2: Yeah, and I think it, um, you know, to to build on what Evan was talking about, is it really speaks to our value proposition as an integrated, uh, you know, marketing firm because so much of the discovery that goes into messaging architect messaging architecture informs the information architecture of the website. So much of the discovery that goes into speaking with the SMEs of you know, what are the strategic business goals? How are we going to layer a homepage design can then go back and reinform the content team as they're developing that, right? And then that can also inform the digital marketing initiatives with what we call the topic clustering. I mean, Google is changing up the way that its algorithms work with, you know, contextual search and all of that stuff. And so having, you know, short tail keywords and long tail keywords and then being able to integrate that in contributed pieces so that it, again, drives the digital marketing initiatives back to the website. And then the website is, again, a coherent, sensible experience for the user. All of that stuff can then be put in place. And then it's time to go big into the PR. And then you've got a great house in order for for people to land. So
3: so the net net is, right? PR marketing, sales slash lead generation cannot be siloed, right? Everybody right. has to be working together on the same page, right? And that's what we try to do with our clients is kind of figure out what that game plan looks like. Okay, so integrated game plan. Uh, yeah.
1: when, how, how much uh, of what you do involves looking at the uh, where they are in the particular food chain, who the competitors are, and how they rank.
2: So what we try to do, again speaking <clears throat> to, to what Tony mentioned earlier, is is data driven. Um, you know, creative insight. Right. So when we begin a creative project, we'll always start with a competitive analysis of people in that field. We'll look at websites. We'll download white papers. We'll read that content. We'll go out into the world and see where are these folks appearing in industry publications. But there's also tools that we can run that can do um, analysis within our, our social media management tool. We can run side by side comparisons of, you know, uh, our prospects, Twitter feed against somebody else's Twitter feed in that channel. So again, trying to come up with that uh, data baseline, if you will, that's just a key part of, again, the discovery process that really lays the groundwork, because you can't manage what you can't measure. So before we begin any kind of initiative, we have to really understand where we're starting from, what is the message, and who is the audience, in which direction are we trying to take these folks, and why how long do we have to get there? What are our goals for getting there? What's the budget and the timing and all of those pieces? But, again, I think it starts with that comprehensive, uh, you know, data analysis and just figuring out where's the starting point? Because a lot of times clients really don't know that. You know, they think they're kind of doing okay in some areas, but when you ask them to quantify it, it it's just kind of a deer in the headlights look. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Am Tower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We shall return and wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Tower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I am here today with Tony Wells, Evan Weissel, and Stephen Mackey of w2welsonweissel.com, w2com, com uh, What's the Cybertaco website again?
2: Cybertacos.net. Well, that's too damn easy.
1: <laughs> so I want to wrap this up. Um, I I am a huge advocate for the use of social, especially LinkedIn. Actually, I'm an advocate for LinkedIn. I suck at the rest of social. Um, Sad but true. Uh, So how do you guys leverage this both for yourselves and for your clients? I think the easiest way
2: to sum up our social initiatives is with the philosophical. I mean, people are seeking – a sense of belonging, and a sense of community. And that's really what social media is, is is all about. People want to be conversed with, not spoken at, not yelled at on, on social media. Um, and that, I think, really drives the content decisions, right? People are just tired of being spammed. I mean, I think people tune in to social media channels that gives them a sense of participation, that gives them uh, a, a heightened sense of belonging and insight, you know, and that's why they participate in products and services and companies that they're passionate about that they think are doing good things i think corporate social responsibility plays a part in that we had a great um run recently with our cyber tacos initiative in rsa we were selling t-shirts and the proceeds from that t-shirt were being um donated back to stem for her a local uh nonprofit that uh provides scholarships for girls in technology you know our friends at women in technology at wit so I think being able to, uh, you know, evangelize those kinds of social missions on social media are are really important. And again, giving people that sense of belonging. And that's one of the things that is driving the, uh, you know, our, the episodes that we're choosing for our podcast, Inside the Media Minds. Just got a Marcom Award for that, and Christine and Nick are doing a great job running that. And it, uh, you know, it's available on on Spotify and iTunes. But as we are looking ahead to 2019, you know, who are the people that we want to um, include in in that production? It really comes down to what is the community that we're trying to build? Who are the people that we're trying to connect, the decision makers, the influencers? And how is the audience going to reap the benefits of, of that content? That's really what is driving uh, the podcast decisions and all of our social channels. And the same kind of thing for our clients, How can we craft content on our client's behalf that is not screaming at their audience but is including them in a dialogue uh, so that everybody wins? I think that's really what drives it.
1: Okay. Now, for particular technologies, do you have a a preference in the platforms that you're using?
2: I think the platforms are really um, industry-dependent, right, and initiative-dependent. So what we hear from a lot of our clients is that, If they are pursuing a recruiting initiative and they really want to demonstrate company culture, they might select Facebook and Instagram. It's also demographic dependent. Uh, Millennials are more active on certain channels than older professionals, right? So if it's, um, you know, kind of – Uh, you know, business tips or, uh, you know, articles about uh, business strategy, LinkedIn might be the channel that's leveraged. So what we found is that uh, you have to kind of carve it up and segment it. You can't just push the same message out and blab it out over all the channels at the same time of every day. I mean, we um, really leverage our tools to look at the algorithms that give you the best time to post. We go back after the fact and look at our social channel insight reports and see which um, which of the posts were most effective? Which got retweeted the most? Which had the most pickup, the most likes? And and again, it's uh, it's like a website. You know, a website is never finished. It's just launched, right? And then begins the real work: the monitoring, the measuring, the recrafting of the content, the adjusting of the initiatives, the time and the timing. Of you know, um, time to market of the content and and things like that. So again, all of the tools that we have at our disposal for the measurement, the data, the insight, and the analysis, uh, I think, really drives future initiatives. But to your point, uh, which channel is selected for which initiative is really content and audience driven.
1: Okay, Tony, how do you use it, or how how do you use any of these?
0: I'd I'd say I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. Um, just from an engagement and a posting standpoint, I do a lot of monitoring of news and monitoring of conversations on Twitter, especially for our clients, to see what's breaking, what's trending, what are people really getting excited about today. I find that that's the most real-time barometer of of where the news cycles are heading. So I really like Twitter for that. Um, the the other channels personally, you know, they're more they're more personal channels for me. Um, you know, I, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on a bunch of other things. But a lot of times, that's you know, just hey, what's the fun stuff of the day? But you know, one of the things that you know, we've also found. So about a year ago, we did a a social media post, and it was uh, it was actually just after RSA where our client our our team, excuse me, hit every one of our client goals, and uh, they got to choose kind of a fear factor thing for me where. They got to decide what my fate was, and I ended up having to eat a plate of bugs. Um, sounds disgusting. Wasn't as bad as it sounds, but that was probably our most clicked on post for that month. But what we did then was we basically leveraged that to say, okay, now we've got the eyeballs. Now let's let's in, let's start rolling out some additional kind of lead generation, thought leadership aspects to get people to realize what we do. We don't just eat bugs, but we actually right. bring a lot of intelligence to the table. Yeah,
1: it sounds like you're you know, five years old. Make them eat a bug. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, you know, now with with Stephen's group on on hand, you know, we're doing similar things, not bugs. Thank thank goodness. But <laughs> but we're, we're doing similar things that spike our traffic and then use that to help us retain those eyeballs into our value prop.
3: You want to share the what we just did with uh, iced tea?
0: Yeah, uh, actually, great, great point. So, you know, there's a there's a new service out there where you can actually for a nominal fee, actually pay a celebrity to um, issue a message on your behalf. So Ice-T, you know, the the rapper, uh, NCIS, all of that um, actually did a shout out on social media to our team. Um, It's about a minute video um, where he basically congratulates them for a great RSA, great cyber tacos. Thanks for all, all the hard work. Um, and the, and and this is coming from Ice-T, so you guys know it's important to to Evan and Tony. So, you know, it's one of those things. Again, it spikes our traffic. It gets people talking, and then we use those eyeballs to re- then reinforce our value prop.
1: Cool. And why did you make him tell that and not you? Are you not
3: using social media? I'm talking to Evan here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know, I think, again, right, it's, we're always trying to be creative. I mean, and, and it was uh, actually an idea from one of our VPs. Uh, that uh, came up with that idea and we loved it. And so I think it's just, again, a nice way to, you know, people were, I mean, we got people that uh, on social media channels when we posted said, hey, is there a wow button that I can push? Right. You know, so again, we got a lot of eyeballs, a lot of views, a lot of excitement about what we're doing and it, it was a lot of fun. Right. And so, you know, for me on social media, I live on LinkedIn mostly. Uh, in fact, with the Cyber Tacos mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. Um, and and working with that— you have a that,
1: Cyber Tacos group on LinkedIn yet? We
3: do have a Cyber okay. Tacos group on LinkedIn. But, you know, I would tell you that, you know, I'm on there day in and day out trying to connect with people that are local here or in the cybersecurity community to make sure that they're aware about our Cyber Tacos event. And so Get LinkedIn Gorley has been— Get to talk about it. Gourley is one of our judges on the Cyber Impact Awards. They're, I'm shocked. Yeah. So— Absolutely, and then as Tony said, and, I, you know, and, I used, and if
1: you if you're yeah. wondering Gourley, who's Gourley? You aren't in cyber. <laughs>
3: that's right, that's right. <laughs> and then you know, things like Facebook for me are, are personal. Every now and again, I might throw something up about cyber tacos or something. I put the iced tea video up on on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to stay away from putting work things on Facebook. I just don't find it the right channel.
1: I have um, an Am Tower and Company page on Facebook that I never visit.
3: Yeah. So, I uh, no, you know. For me, Facebook is really family and and sharing activities and day in the life things of, about me, so that my my friends from high school or college or my 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 distant relatives can see you know what's Evan up to these days, right? Right. Um,
0: right. But but uh, to Stephen's point, we do have a corporate account on there, just oh, sure. like you do. Yeah, that's corporate and, culture. And it, and it's yeah, it's corporate culture. It's great for recruiting. It's great yes. to show people our personality. Um, and that's what I see Absolutely. Facebook as. That's the personality channel. Okay. Agreed. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, I've known these guys now uh, going on 15 years yeah. and uh, uh, easiest-going people in the world. Uh, so I can't imagine what it's like to work there. And, you know, I don't know if you can attest to that yet or not, but obviously you joined them.
2: Again, I can't say enough about the, the company culture and just uh, I think the respect of the entire team for Evan and Tony and, and the way that they empower everybody on the teams, everybody has the opportunity to contribute whenever we're having a creative session. No one is too shy to raise their hand and, and you know, make a suggestion, give an idea. And again, as chief, uh, you know, chief creative officer, it's it's my job to make sure that the best idea gets surfaced. It's not my job to have the best idea all the time and to really empower some of the talent that we have and uh, and, and leverage all of those skills and diversity and backgrounds. That's what I think really adds to to the dynamic. And uh, like I said, we were, we were friends and colleagues for uh, at least nine years because I, I remember when I brought my fourth grader home from the hospital, I was working on uh, a, a then Wells and Wiesel project. Uh, and so I know we've been working together for at least that long. So it was a very natural integration and it uh, just feels like home. It's been a really great experience.
1: Cool. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, we're in the new studios and they actually found it. We did Very
3: impressive. Thanks for having us.
1: (laughs) Great time. This is not my – thank you. This is not my day job. I do advise companies, particularly on leveraging LinkedIn content marketing and building that subject matter expert platform. Unlike Wells and Weissel, however, I advise people on these things. I can can sort of monitor the progress, but you're doing the work. If you need people to help you do the work, if you want to set up an entire structure – Call them, uh, and I'll monitor their progress. Uh, And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off-Center.
0: You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.